Welcome to Brain Health Breakthroughs, where we help you get smarter, think faster, remember more, and feel happier and healthier, too. I'm Peggy Sarlin, and today we're going to talk about how you can boost your brain by boosting your immune system. Now, doesn't that sound like a win-win situation for your health? especially in this crazy time we're living through when our brains are so stressed and we're all obsessed with our immune system. My guest today is one of my favorite people to talk to because she is such a leader in the field of innovative medicine. Dr. Pamela Wardian-Smith is a diplomat of the Board of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Physicians. She has a master's in public health and a master's in metabolic and nutrition medicine. And she's a senior partner of the Center for Precision Medicine. She was a star of my video series, Awakening from Alzheimer's and Regain Your Brain. And she's got a great new best-selling book, Max Your Immunity. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you very much, Peggy. I'm very glad to be here. Okay, Dr. Smith, for the last two years, the last two horrible years, with COVID and lockdowns and everything else that's been going on, we've all been focused on our immune system. So can you tell us how does the immune system impact the brain? What's the interplay between them? Well, the immune system is based in the gut otherwise known as the GI tract, and 70% of the immune system is in the gut. And there is a gut-brain connection that is very much being described now in the medical literature from the viewpoint of infection. And interestingly, even the gut-brain connection is being discussed in the aspects of anxiety and depression. Well, the gut-brain connection is certainly much more in the news than it ever was. And I think probably many people who are listening were not necessarily aware that the immune system is primarily located in the gut. And so therefore, what happens in your gut affects your immunity. It absolutely does. And a lot of people do not have a healthy GI tract. It's not really normal to have reflux or GERD. It's not optimal health to have diarrhea, constipation, et cetera. But there's also different symptoms that you can get outside the GI tract, like brain fog, that are really symptoms of an unhealthy gut. Yeah, you talk about that in the book, that brain fog can be a symptom of dysbiosis. And tell us what is dysbiosis and and what, what should we do about it? Well, dysbiosis is too much bad bacteria and not enough good bacteria. It's just that simple. So let me give you an idea from my book, Max Your Immunity. Looks like this. Oh, okay. Well, for those, we'll we'll have a picture of it because <laughs> there's different signs and symptoms of poor digestion. And it's kind of important to look at this idea because people don't realize when they have an unhealthy gut. So you should have two bowel movements a day. Okay. And if you're not, then your gut's unhealthy. And that's a sign of poor digestion, which leads to dysbiosis. A chronically coated tongue, um, depressed without a reason, feel better if you don't eat, stressed, foul-smelling stools. You feel cold and there's not a reason to feel cold. An increase in pulse after eating. 
less than one bowel movement a day, undigested food in the stools. All of these and more are signs of poor digestion. And then we want to lead people to have optimal digestion. Our goal with a healthy gut is two bowel movements a day, no undigested food in the stools. You feel energized all day long. You don't have any brain fog. They, you basically have warm extremities. So that's our goal in doing all of that. But symptoms of dysbiosis, there's a myriad of them. So to be uncomplicated, if you have abdominal distension, you have dysbiosis, meaning if you're, you feel distended. Okay. If you have abdominal pain, you could. Belching, abdominal cramping, bloating, gas, bad breath, heartburn, nausea, all of those are symptoms of dysbiosis. So if you have any of those, seeing a practitioner in precision, functional anti-aging medicine, and have a gut health test done is really important. And then those symptoms that you can have outside the gut, like brain fog and fatigue and muscle aches and pains, skin rashes, seizure disorders, it's amazing when you look at the gut. Well, I think that people may have heard of leaky gut syndrome, which is pretty new. I just heard of it a few years ago. I think it was Dr. David Perlmutter who told me about it. If you have all these nasty symptoms you just mentioned, <laughs> which all sounded horrible, does that mean you have leaky gut? And, and if you have leaky gut, what's going on in your brain as a result? Well, if you have those symptoms... You probably do have dysbiosis. And if dysbiosis occurs long enough, then you end up with leaky gut. And what leaky gut is, is the lining of the intestine is what we call semi-permeable, meaning you're supposed to keep good things in and bad things out. Right. It's just that simple. And if you have dysbiosis, too much bad bacteria and not enough good then eventually you will end up with leaky gut. And then from the viewpoint of memory, that gut-brain connection becomes so important because if you have leaky gut, you're inflamed. Your brain becomes inflamed. And every kind of memory loss there is, is inflammatory in nature, whether it's Alzheimer's disease or not. And even some of the emotional turmoils that people are feeling, depression, anxiety, these kinds of things, these relate as well to inflammation in the brain. Is that correct? They do. They relate to inflammation in the brain. Again, that gut-brain connection that occurs is so important when it comes to the idea of depression and anxiety. So actually, I'm going to give you just a few numbers to look at with that, because when it comes to depression, anxiety, I mean, it's a healthcare crisis. One of the causes of anxiety and depression is GI dysfunction. Yes, not eating right can cause anxiety and depression. So can low thyroid. So can stress and Lyme and toxic mold and toxic metals. But they actually did a study in 2015, and the study showed major depressive disorder is widespread mood disorder that significantly affects your everyday ability 
to actually function, they discovered a lot of this is due to what is going on in the gut mm-hmm. and that gut brain connection not being normal. So there's studies going back to 2013 on the gut brain connection. And is this a two-way street? I mean, if you get depression, is it going to negatively impact your gut? Does it go both ways? It does. It's called bidirectional. So it goes in both ways. That's such a great question because the bidirectional communication between the brain and gut is termed the microbiome gut brain access. So in the medical literature, you call that MGB access. And the preclinical studies have shown that dysbiosis does influence depression, anxiety, and stress. So yes, if the gut's not healthy, then can you get anxiety and depression? Yes, because it goes back and forth. Well, if we look at this in the context of the last two years, which have been terrible years for just about everybody, there's a lot to think about here. I interviewed for this podcast Dr. Michael Bruce, who's a sleep expert, and he told me that during the lockdowns, prescriptions for sleeping medications went up 23%, which is a massive figure, and that prescriptions for anti-depression and anti-anxiety meds went up by the same amount, by about 23%. So these are massive numbers of um, people with insomnia, anxiety, you know, emotional turmoil, And therefore, this is affecting their gut health is what I'm hearing from you, that because it's bidirectional, it's going into their gut, and therefore, it's affecting their immunity. It does, because stress affects the gut from a negative viewpoint, compromises the immune system. And there's two trials done in 2018. And both of those studies showed that probiotics taking good bacteria actually combated brain-related dysfunction. So neuropsychiatric disorders like stress, anxiety, depression, and cognitive function all are negatively impacted when the gut's not healthy, but taking good bacteria, probiotics can help all those, stress, anxiety, depression, and cognitive function. Well, now you're starting to get into some of the solutions, which is great because that's what People are going to find in your book, Max, Your Immunity, and let me just say about um, Dr. Smith's books, uh, she's written many of them, and they're exceptionally well organized and easy to find the information you're looking for and access it. So I do recommend that you look at this book if you're thinking about your immunity or if you're thinking about your brain health, because as we're discussing, these are so related. So what were you seeing as a physician during COVID? What were the reactions, the health reactions of people you were dealing with? Everything. Absolutely everything. Did they have more anxiety? Yes. Did they have more depression? Yes. Some people had weight gain. Some people had weight loss. A lot of people had what I would call brain fog. They really didn't have memory loss. Their memory was no longer rapid fire. So this was a common, common symptom. And 
people, whether they had COVID or not, were just, you know, ending up being kind of depressed from not being able to get out as much as they would like to do. The good news is we can fix a lot of this because viruses are here to stay. Viruses don't leave us and they all mutate. So there's so many things that we can do to help with the gut and to help with stress and the immune system itself. Well, that's your basic message in the book. It's empowering that you can, in fact, take action guided by your expert advice here to maximize your immunity. And I have to say, I've seen that so much in the last uh, two years. I live in Manhattan, which has been incredibly hard hit right at the beginning by all of this. And a lot of stuff has been going on here that's been extremely stressful. And from the beginning, I took the point of view with myself that I was going to focus on maximizing my immunity. I, I mean, I try to live healthy anyway, but I doubled down on things that I thought would impact immunity, like taking certain supplements, which we can get into, and like making sure I get exercise and then I take a walk in the sun every day. And I was so much less stressed about this than almost anybody I knew because I wasn't passively waiting for, you know, some sickness to hit me. I felt like I'm taking, I'm being reasonable. I'm taking the steps I can take. If I do get sick, so far I haven't thank God, but if I do get sick, it should be milder because I'll start from a robust position of health. So that's very good for your mental health to feel empowered, to feel you can take action. That calms depression and anxiety. Absolutely. And exercise certainly does do that. When you exercise, it helps with memory. When you exercise, it helps with anxiety and depression. When you exercise, it does build the immune system. But as I point out in my book, Max Your Immunity, it has to be the right amount of exercise. So three or four times a week, for 20 minutes, doubling your pulse is really, for most people, the right amount. Now, okay. if anybody in the audience today is above the age of 45, if you've been a couch potato, then please see your doctor or other healthcare provider for an EKG before you start an exercise program. But everybody should exercise. The great news is there's a lot of things that qualify as exercise. I happen to love to dance. Oh, they did a medical trial showing that ballroom dancing was great exercise. However, well, mm -hmm. if you're someone that's a vigorous exerciser, meaning that you're exercising six or seven days a week, that actually compromises your immune system because it depletes the body of important nutrients. If you replenish those nutrients, then it helps. Otherwise, you can get muscle damage and cortisol, your stress hormone becomes abnormal. I think most people do not realize that. I think that's news to a lot of people who are very into fitness, that there is a point where you start affecting your, your nutrients. Um, is the, and I believe you recommend in the book, if you're exercising a lot, to take coenzyme Q10. Is that right? Absolutely. Coenzyme Q10 is literally one third of the fueling source in the body. 
It's absolutely wonderful. The trouble is you cannot eat your way into coenzyme Q10. So you have to take it. If you're 50, you're deplete just by age. So 100 milligrams a day is fabulous if you're 50. If you're aggressively exercising, even if you're 25, you might need 300 to 400 milligrams a day of Q10. Well, when I was uh, reporting on Alzheimer's, that was one of the first things I discovered was CoQ10 and how important it is in terms of efficiently firing up the mitochondria. And I take it every day. I, I love it. I mean, I think it's a key to being properly energized. Go through all the steps in your, you have 10 steps you list that are key for an immune system. But just to start at the beginning, you you say the goal is a balanced immune system. So tell us about being balanced. Explain that goal in regard to immunity. Well, most doctors even don't understand how the immune system works. So my first part of my book actually talks about it. And to keep it nice and simple, you have two kinds of the immune system. You have the innate immune system, and this is the one that happens right away. If you get near a toxin or some sort of bad bug, then that's the one that jumps in and it takes over. And this you're born with. So you actually inherit that immune system. Okay. Then you have the adaptive immune system. And that one is one you're not born with. And it takes a few days to start up, but it's the one that builds antibodies and other kinds of cells in the body to help decrease inflammation and get rid of the infection or get rid of the toxin as well. So it recognizes when this is the part of the immune system that when something new is introduced, such as a virus, for instance, it learns, it adapts to it, recognize, oh, I know this guy. Okay, next time this guy comes around, I'm going to take him out. Is that essentially how it works? Oh, it does. It actually is a great way to phrase it. It really does take it out. It really develops an antibody so that it binds to get rid of that parasite, that virus, et cetera, that gets introduced into the body. And hopefully it remembers it lifelong. Some adaptive uh, responses are lifelong and some are not. So we have these two different interconnecting parts of the immune system, and how do they work together to get a balanced immune system? Because you're very emphatic there that it needs to be balanced, kind of like, is it a Goldilocks, not too much, not too little in terms of the way it's working? It is. It's kind of like Goldilocks. That's a great way to say it. So you don't want either system to be overactive. If you become hyperimmune, then it increases your risk of getting an autoimmune disease, meaning the body attacks itself. Also, if things get out of balance, then the inflammatory process can really become a major problem as well. And this is what happens with COVID and people that are really, really sick. They end up with what's called cytokine storm, Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. the cytokines the response that's the immune system to that inflammatory component go haywire. And the cough, cold, headache, fever, runny nose, rash, but then you can get shortness of breath. You can end up to the point where you become hypoxic, where you don't have enough oxygen. You can end up with blood clots, et cetera, from that cytokine storm. So we don't want that to ensue. We want the cytokines to do their job, decrease inflammation, but not become overworked where there's actually a cytokine storm. 
Yeah, we've all become familiar with that term cytokine storm that we never wanted to become familiar with. <laughs> I just, I wish I didn't know that term. <laughs> but um, let's go through. You have 10 key lifestyle changes. The number one lifestyle change in your book, alcohol. And so tell us about alcohol and are people drinking more now? Are you seeing that? Dr. Uh, Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor, told me he's seeing that among his patients during lockdown. People are drinking more, Some some people. They are drinking more, and moderation is the key to health, absolutely positively. Women, however, metabolize alcohol much slower than men. So for women, it's really important that they don't have more than one drink a day mm -hmm. because then their immune system's affected. Men, it's more like two drinks in a day, but part of that has to do with the fact that alcohol is liquid sugar literally. Uh -huh. And so sugar does compromise the immune system. It sets up an inflammatory response. We all get sugar somehow. In Awakening Alzheimer's, I actually discussed a study of laboratory animals where they put out two bowls and the little rodents went to the bowl with the sugar. All of them, 100% of the rodents, and none of them touched the bowl with cocaine. That's pretty so incredible. Sugar, it is incredible. <laughs> sugar really is more is. addictive than cocaine. That's that's the point of that study. <laughs> it is the point of the study. So sugar probably is the most addicting substance on earth, and everybody gets it someplace, whether you're getting it from a food product like ketchup, which commonly is one half sugar, mm -hmm. or you're getting it from alcohol, or you're eating a candy bar. It's still sugar. Uh, moderation is the key to health. Well, obviously, it's a big topic. We could talk the whole time about this, but just in a nutshell, if somebody comes to you and says, Dr. Smith, I find myself drinking more than I think is good during this lockdown, how how do you steer them to a better path? Uh, you know, what what are the most effective things you tell people? Still, Alcoholics Anonymous is the number one modality for people to be the most successful. And people sometimes get upset if they hear the word alcoholic. And so alcoholic really just means that you're imbibing too much. So there's a wide range of what alcoholism means. It doesn't mean that if you're having three drinks every day, that Alcoholics Anonymous would not help you. They would, because they get people to understand that alcoholism is a disease. It's literal disease process, and people that imbibe too much inherit a gene where it goes down a pathway, and down that pathway, they end up with a byproduct of what would be similar to morphine or heroin. People who don't inherit that gene break down alcohol into a different pathway, and it is a byproduct that doesn't stay in the body. It's not related to morphine or heroin. So for those people, it's not addicting to them. So if you're imbibing too much, you may have literally inherited a gene for alcoholism. So we want to back down on that gene a little bit, turn it off, and certainly seeing a counselor, psychologist, social worker, or something formal like AA has been certainly the most successful thing there is. And some patients, once they understand the physiology, just say, hey, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. and, and now that I know it's liquid sugar, you're right. I probably shouldn't have three drinks in a day. Why don't I cut it to one? 
great idea. Mm -hmm. You know, you you brought up Alcoholics Anonymous, and I just want to take a little sidetrack here because I know you're a person of faith, and we've talked about that. You you tell me that during times of stress, uh, praying so that you let go and you let God is one of the most powerful things you can do. And I think there's uh, actually uh, Lisa Miller just published a book called The Awakened Brain, I believe, about almost finding anatomically a spiritual center in the brain. For people who are struggling with all these things we're talking about, depression, anxiety, um, health struggles, not being able to control addictions to food or to, you know, substance abuse, there's a strength in faith, in spirituality. I mean, this is, this is what Alcoholics Anonymous teaches. I just wondered if you could just speak to us a little bit about the role of faith in, in health. Oh, thank you for asking me that question. It is such a fabulous question. When it comes to, for example, stress, stress reduction techniques are so important and they're different for everybody. For me, prayer is the number one and it should be for everybody. Mm-hmm. And whether you are Christian, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Muslim, whether you worship in the trees, mm-hmm. there is a higher power on earth. And once you realize that God does run the world, it is so much easier to accept what happens, whether it's COVID or the death of a loved one, or whether you need help from a higher power to decrease something like alcohol that would make your health better. But stress reduction techniques, prayer, I do put as number one, prayer, meditation, tai chi, yoga, qigong, exercise, massage, breathing techniques, acupuncture, they're all really, really beneficial. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about this. I think prayer is most important, too. And, of course, I speak to many doctors and we discuss stress. Meditation always comes up and prayer never comes up. And that's kind of something I just hope to point out more. There is almost maybe even a little embarrassment. It's a secular age we're living in. The understanding that prayer is always there when you feel completely alone, you're not alone because you can pray and invite another presence into your heart and into your soul. I mean, I, I've been through such tough times. Uh, these, these last two years have been so brutal for me. I, I lost my husband a year ago in a lockdown nursing home in New York and I've had to mourn him alone because of the COVID situation. So it's been brutal. And I've gotten through it in pretty good style. Number one prayer. That that that's what I think. So okay, I'm glad we got into that. So okay, number one is alcohol for your key for your key lifestyle changes. Number two is exercise, which we've we've talked about and that's good. But I just want to mention that I think you said in the book that there's a new study that exercise helps the microbiome and, and we've been talking so much about gut health. So Is exercise another way to positively impact uh, gut health? It is. And honestly, as you know, Peggy, I hate exercise. (laughs) I just do not get this high that most people get from exercising. So number three is the gut. And we've talked about the gut. But maybe just to talk a little bit about patients you might have had with long haul 
COVID because as we say, brain fog is a symptom of long haul COVID. It's a symptom of dysbiosis of, you know, an, an imbalance in the, in the gut. So maybe just take, take a, l- a little time. How, how do you treat your patients who come to you with COVID, long haul COVID? It's a, it's a big topic. Oh, wow. It is a big topic. And it depends on really how severe that the disease process is. Because when people have long haul COVID, most of us literally believe that it's an autoimmune process. More to come on that subject. Okay. We're just starting to understand that. But some studies show that 85% of people get COVID long haul. So what do we do to try and help that? Number one, there's a lot of signs and symptoms people need to know. Do you have post-COVID syndrome? Fatigue, Mm -hmm. coughing, wheezing that continues. It doesn't go away in a few days. Mm -hmm. Shortness of breath, brain fog, shortened attention span, cognitive impairment, delirium. You don't sleep well, depression, anxiety, headache. Hair loss. And I hope the listeners are kind of going through these themselves and realizing, does this pertain to me? Myalgias, joint pain, Mm -hmm. gut's not healthy. You can have issues with the heart. You can have what's called POTS, where you actually can pass out. And that was one of my patients. He actually passed out when he got post-COVID syndrome. Wow. It can be quite severe. So to answer your question, the first thing I do, and I hope people write these down. Okay, write these down, everybody. Write these down. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, fix the gut. Fix the gut. And find a pharmacy, a compounding pharmacy, or a healthcare provider in this field to do a gut health test. If you don't have someone, then another way of looking at it is to at least start with probiotics. You can go to any compounding pharmacist or precision medicine doctor and do a saliva test and look at your cortisol levels. Thyroid studies are important, but melatonin. Melatonin. Melatonin is not just for sleep. It builds the immune system. It's actually an immune modulator. So big doses of melatonin. At night? At nighttime have been used for post-COVID long-haul syndrome and post-COVID long-haul vaccine syndrome. So people are using anywhere from three to 20 milligrams of melatonin. You can always measure melatonin levels by saliva if you want. Vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Vitamin D is actually a hormone. Right. Fabulous studies on vitamin D. Nasal spray that contains iodine. It has been wonderful extra layer protection, an adjunct therapy for people who have uh, a problem with COVID long haul or COVID long haul vaccine syndrome. People can always email me at faafm63 at yahoo.com. If you need a source for any of this, that's faafm63 at yahoo.com. COVID long haul is a mitochondrial illness. Oh, So those things that we talked about, like the Q10, mm-hmm. and we didn't mention, but magnesium, mm-hmm. 
alpha-lipoic acid, B vitamins, D-ribose, etc., are very helpful for COVID long haul. Zinc, I think everybody knows that one. Zinc is big. B-complex, the bioflavonoid quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, quercetin, is very good for COVID long haul. 500 milligrams twice a day, glutathione in the liposomal form. We've never heard of glutathione. It's spelt G-L-U-T-A-T-H-I-O-N-E. We use the liposomal glutathione to detoxify. And then, of course, prescription low-dose naltrexone. That is a key component. Prescription low-dose naltrexone, it is compounded but it gets rid of the inflammatory component. It helps with the cytokine storm and inflammation in general. We use low-dose naltrexone now for all forms of memory loss, and we're using it for COVID, cancer, autoimmune diseases. It's, the list is now over 300 different diseases. Wow. There's so much to think about here, and it's it's critically important given the times that we're living in. You've just given us absolutely vital information. So I'm taking away two things from what you just said. We spoke before about the importance of a balanced immune system. You want one that's vigorous, robust, ready to get in the fight there, but you don't want one that's too hyperactive because that sets off autoimmunity. And it sounds like people who are suffering from long-haul COVID syndrome or whatever the proper name of that is, that they have entered into a state of autoimmunity. And so that's an understanding that they should know and their doctors should know. So that's vitally important. And then the next thing you told us is that there is so much you can do about it. You should feel so optimistic from what you've said about how many tools are in your toolbox here to go and and rebalance your system. Absolutely. There is so much science out there now, and we always love to follow the science. But as I was mentioning, the low-dose naltrexone is used for COVID long haul. It's absolutely fabulous. We even use it for people when they get COVID as an adjunct therapy. For those people who do not know what low-dose naltrexone is, naltrexone is a medication at regular dose that we use for drug overdose. But they've discovered that in small baby doses, under 6 milligrams a day, that it helps with inflammation, and it also helps with pain control. And since most diseases are inflammatory in nature, from COVID long haul to cognitive decline, Mm -hmm. et cetera, LDN, low-dose naltrexone, is now being used for all of those things. And the dosage varies depending on what you're trying to do with it. This is new to me. I mean, when I began uh, preparing for this interview, I discovered that you're now a big fan of LDN, low-dose naltrexone, but I hadn't heard of it before. So is this a new understanding? I mean, for people who've been uh, following uh, the, the the world of, of what to do about cognitive decline, th- this is new, right? I mean... It has new uses. Uh, the drug has been out a long time in the traditional dose for drug overdose, right? certainly for the last 10 years, and then very much so in the last five. 
were expanding the diseases that we're using low dose naltrexone on. And certainly, obviously, for COVID, we've been doing that for the last year, 18 months. So if somebody came into you with cognitive decline, this would be something you would think about using LDN for them uh, for Alzheimer's. I absolutely would. All the things that we talked about in awakening Alzheimer's, but now LDN is part of that regime as well. Okay. That's so good to know. I mean, that is just so good to know. Okay. Next in your hit parade here, the (laughs) 10 key lifestyle changes, we've got inflammation, which as we've said, it's such a big, big deal. And everything seems to come back to inflammation, you know, everything. It does. It does. And curcumin is such a fabulous anti-inflammatory. Obviously, low dose naltrexone is fish oil is a wonderful anti-inflammatory. It decreases inflammation unmatched by anything else. But people, when they take fish oil, do have to make sure it's pharmaceutical grade so it doesn't have lead and mercury in it. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. And of course, the uh, fish oil is uh, correlated with lowering risk of depression, right? It, it, it Doesn't it? Great studies. Great studies on depression. And you've mentioned vitamin D before. Um, I've seen studies that show people with good, you know, nice, fat, healthy levels of vitamin D and of the omega-3s that you find in fish oil are less likely to get COVID. These are just good supplements. These are just really, really good supplements for all kinds of things. Vitamin D is also great to help prevent memory loss. Most people who have cognitive decline of any type tend to have low vitamin D. So everybody should see their healthcare provider and have their vitamin D levels measured. For most insurances, it's covered. It's a non-fasting study, and every major lab in the world does a vitamin D level. Yeah, and just to talk about vitamin D for another uh, minute, when you go outside and take a nice walk in the morning sun, you're you're getting vitamin D metabolized. But we've been, first of all, it's winter, Well, at least here in New York City, it's winter for sure. We just had big snow. And so people are not outside as much. They're not getting the sunlight. And second of all, people are afraid, so they're staying inside. And third of all, you know, they've been advised not to go out. So many people have altered their daily habits in ways that may very well compromise their vitamin D status. So this is more important than ever because you're not getting it in your natural daily life. No, you're not. And if you wear sunscreen, 98% of the vitamin D does not get absorbed. And many people do need to wear sunscreen or they burn. Uh, So it is important to take as a supplement. You can get toxic, though. That's the reason why we measure. Okay. And what happens if you're toxic? God forbid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You can get bad symptoms. You can even get an arrhythmia where your heart rhythm is not normal when your vitamin D is at a toxic level. Uh, so it's important to have that level measured. And again, every primary care doctor does that. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's like we're always back to that Goldilocks thing. Not too much, not too little. Hit the sweet spot. <laughs> right. So next up in your hit parade here is sleep. Sleep is so big. Oh, it is. And sleep is, people don't understand it's not just, am I having trouble falling asleep or am I waking up? It's also the time of day. It's important to go to bed before 11 or 11.30. It's also important not to get up before 5 a.m. As great as exercise as it is, 
I had one of my patients tell me, oh, I get up every day at 4 a.m. and exercise. That's not the idea. That's the <laughs> idea is don't get up before five, start exercising then. If you get up before five o'clock or you go to bed too late, it changes the circadian rhythm in your body. It's supposed to have a, a regular day and night cycle. If you change that circadian rhythm, one of the things that can happen is your immune system is compromised. Mm-hmm. Now we come back to the immune system. And uh, you mentioned in the book, I thought this was interesting, that insomnia can be related to a hormone imbalance. So where do hormones fit into uh, everything we're talking about, into the immune system, uh, the brain? You know, I know, you know, we've talked about hormones. It's, it's That's another big topic. But how does it specifically relate to sleep? Everything in your body pretty much is regulated by thyroid hormone. When it comes to sleep, cortisol, your stress hormone, if it's not normal, if it's too high or too low, you probably will have issues with sleep. In women, if they have low progesterone, it's a major reason that women of any age have a poor sleeping pattern. And then, of course, estrogen does help with sleep. Testosterone for men does help with sleep as well. Well, if you're going to start uh, trying to balance your hormones, you should be working with a doctor, right? That's, uh, I mean, I, I assume healthy living, all the things we're talking about, such as uh, balancing your gut and exercising, all these things will help your hormones. But uh, if it's at a certain level, you need to work with somebody such as yourself who's sensitive to how to do this. Yes, please see a precision medicine specialist, someone who's actually trained they are fellowship trained, have a master's degree in this field. Uh, giving hormones is absolutely fabulous. It keeps people healthy, young. It keeps their brain wonderful. It gives them energy, prevents disease like heart disease, cognitive decline, even keeps your skin more youthful, male or female. But it is a hard thing to do, and it does require someone who is specially trained in this field. Okay. So that that's a super important point. And again, you're giving us hope. There are so many ways to get better that most people don't know about and many doctors don't know about. You have the specialty in metabolic and nutrition medicine and anti-aging and functional medicine, and, and many doctors are not aware of this. So if you're listening, this sounds good. You can, you can search and find it, and maybe we'll leave some links um, to help you. Okay, next up, smoking. <laughs> well, you would think that after all these years, that honestly, most people would find some way to quit smoking. Right. But one billion people in the world still smoke. One billion people. One billion. And you know what? Most people are not going to get lung cancer. Yes, there is an increase in lung cancer. Okay. However, if you smoke, most people get memory loss. Oh. If you smoke, you have a dramatic increase in heart disease and stroke and high blood pressure. If you smoke, it ages your skin and it really does compromise your immune system. So if you're out there today and you smoke, the biggest thing you can do for your immune system is to quit smoking because it really does help 
so many things. Even macular degeneration is caused by smoking. And so when we talked about alcohol, you mentioned Alcoholics Anonymous is such a powerful organization to help people. People who are having trouble quitting smoking, what's the most successful route to do it that you found? They do have Smokers Anonymous. Okay. A lot of primary care doctors and psychologists deal with smoking cessation because there's medications we can give people to help. Uh, there's a nutrient, uh, N-acetylcysteine, otherwise known as NAC. Yes. NAC. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, NAC actually has been shown in a clinical trial to help people quit smoking. So there's a number of tools out there now. It's not easy. It is not an easy thing to do, but it's one of the most important things people can do for their own health. Well, you brought up NAC. I was going to ask you about that because also in the book, I think we'll have a little time to get into it. You you list herbal and nutritional therapies and you list NAC, which as improving brain function and connectivity. And so this is something you list in terms of helping the immune system, but it seems to have very direct and powerful effects on the brain as well. It does. And part of that is because it helps boost glutathione levels, which is a major way to detoxify the body. I mentioned glutathione earlier. One way of fixing glutathione is to take the liposomal glutathione, but another way is to take NAC. And it increases glutathione levels in the body. And this is over the counter, by the way, right? For people to, Both to know. these things are over the counter. So you don't even need to see a doctor to try it and see if, if it helps. Um, yeah, I really hope people who are still smoking or maybe who have a relative who's smoking or listening to this can find a little bit of inspiration to, uh, to get that path forward. Uh, next, you said manage stress. We've talked about stress. We've talked about prayer and other techniques you mentioned. But uh, one thing I thought you could talk a bit about is adaptogens uh, in the use of managing stress. And people may not be familiar with what an adaptogen is. Adaptogens are things that help if something is too high or too low, like cortisol, the stress hormone. They adapt to the body. So you can use adaptogens if cortisol is too high. You can use it if it's too low. Things such as rhodiola, Mm -hmm. ashwagandha, ginseng would be examples of adaptogens. And they're great ones. Uh, Ginseng has been used for 2,000 years. So that's a lot of studies on ginseng there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So this is good to know in addition to the techniques that Dr. Smith had mentioned before, prayer and meditation and acupuncture and tai chi and all these other good things. Again, everything you mentioned is over the counter rhodiola and ginseng and ashwagandha, and they help. They can really help. Next, sugar. Sugar in any form sets up an inflammatory response. Uh, Again, moderation is the key to health. Of course, we want to be reasonable. Let's look at cutting down the amount of sugar. Well, during this lockdown period, the average American gained 15 pounds. Um, So there was a lot of sugar eating going on these last two years. And so you've got a lot of people who are in inflamed state, maybe more at risk of diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and they need help. How are they going to 
How are they going to cut back on sugar? What's the most effective way you've found to curb cravings? Actually, going cold turkey is the best when it comes to sugar because it's so addicting that if you can get past the first few days and just stop all sugar, you don't crave it anymore. But once you even take one piece of candy, for Mm -hmm. example, you start the whole craving all the way back up again. So for some people, they just have to avoid all sugars. But you know what? If you fall off the wagon, just get back on the wagon. Everybody has something that is an issue for them. If all of a sudden you just go crazy and you eat five pieces of chocolate, you do. That doesn't mean you beat yourself up. Right. Get back on the wagon and don't do the same thing the next day. Well, beating yourself up puts yourself in a depression, which lowers your immunity. And, you know, we get, we get on this whole, you know, so just kind of a, a certain matter of fact, self-acceptance might be a more productive attitude to take. I actually find that eating fermented foods significantly lowers cravings. It does for many people. Uh, Some people are looking for a crunch. So instead, grab a carrot or something else. But a lot of people, myself included on this one, when I'm stressed, I tend to grab chocolate. So I try not to do that. I'd much rather be, you know, taking a calming herb with chamomile or lemon balm instead, because we all have stress. So a lot of people use sugar and certain foods actually as a way to deal with stress, that's more fixable because you can teach yourself to have a different pattern of behavior. Good. We love that optimism. That, that's what this is all about, really. Uh, you're empowering us with action steps so that the state of our health isn't something that happens to us. It's something that we make happen. You know, that that's really the crux of all of this. Next, number nine, optimize thyroid function. Um, we talked about that a little bit, and you did mention in your book that low thyroid is linked to cognitive decline. So you want a sharp brain. Your, your thyroid's got to be happening. It does, and it has to be optimal, not just normal. The free T3 and free T4, the body makes T3 and T4 as the two thyroid hormones, the levels are measured as the free amount, need to be dead center of normal. Right. The TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone, needs to be under 2, the lowest limit of normal, up to 2. We don't want reverse T3 to be high. If reverse T3 is high, it's stored thyroid. It's not available for the body to use. We want to fix that. Uh, in my book, Uh, What You Must Know About Thyroid Disease will give you all these different techniques to look at fixing your thyroid. And then we measure thyroid antibodies. If your thyroid antibodies are high, then that means you have an autoimmune disease. We can do three things to fix autoimmune diseases. No gluten, fix the gut, and the LDN, the low-dose naltrexone we were talking about. Well, when you say it's three things, it doesn't sound that daunting. You know, it does not. Right? You cut out gluten, you take this low dose naltrexone. Fixing the gut is a little bit more of a project there, but you can do it. You can do it, especially if you have somebody wonderful like Dr. Smith on your team there. And the last one, number 10, was water. Drink water, eat hydrating foods. Eating hydrating foods like parsley and strawberries is great. Uh, Also, you have to have normal kidney function. 
and you have to have not congestive heart failure. If you don't have those medical diseases or another reason your doctor would tell you not to drink more water, then drink more water. There's no substitute for water. There's no, and a lot of foods are not water. Fruit juice is not water. Everybody needs, if they have normal kidney function and heart function, one half their body weight and ounces every day. You do not need a healthcare provider to do that one. You can do that one all on your own. Drink more water. If you get bored, then put a lemon or a lime or a strawberry. Right now, what I have with me, I have raspberries inside my Ooh, water. Oh, nice. Add just a little bit extra. <laughs> nice. Very, very nice. So we, we've gone through all 10, and there's a lot for people to work with here. And, of course, the book contains additional therapies you can have from herbs and nutrients. There's so much good information here. Do you want to tell us, is there a, a patient that you've helped that comes to mind of somebody who you've helped get through cognitive challenges, immune challenges with some of these uh, techniques that we've talked about today? Yes. You have to meet the patient where they are because all of us are not perfect, myself included. And one of my patients, one of my very favorite patients, she's been my patient for many years, developed Renaud's disease which oh. is an autoimmune disease. Yeah. We have numbness and tingling in the fingers right. and they get sort of cold, et cetera. They get blue. One autoimmune disease begets another. Mm-hmm. So then she got Hashimoto's thyroiditis oh. and her thyroid didn't function as well as it could. So the thyroid gland was being attacked. Then she started putting on a lot of weight. She gained 100 pounds. Oh, my gosh. And she still didn't want to stop gluten. She knew the three things. Do something about your gut. Avoid all gluten. Start low-dose naltrexone. We finally convinced her to start low-dose naltrexone. But, again, you have to meet the patient where they are, and that's a fine thing. She still continued the gluten. She was willing to do a gut health test. Before that came back, she had a positive ANA, which is a pre-lupus state. Uh-huh. Then she moved, and she kind of got lost in the shuffle. And, you know, when you move, it's a stressor. And so you kind of avoid doing some things for your own health. When she came back to us, it was no longer a pre-lupus state. She actually had lupus, which is an autoimmune disease, which was affecting her kidney function. The great news is, finally, she decided, okay, I'm going to get rid of all gluten because I don't need it. There's so many gluten-free foods now. It's fabulous. You can do that easily. We fixed her gut. She stayed on the low-dose naltrexone, and now her ANA is negative. She no longer has lupus, so Mm. she is gone with one autoimmune disease. The Renaud's is almost gone. She still has Hashimoto's. But we're making such great headway. Again, no gluten, fix the gut, low dose naltrexone. Because if we had not done this at the age of 45, which is the age she is now, then if she stayed overweight, her blood sugar would go into disarray. We're trying to be proactive. And as you know, Peggy, and everybody out there, I hope you know that memory loss is really called type three diabetes. 
So when your blood sugar goes crazy, then you end up with not just diabetes, most people end up with cognitive decline. So they end up with heart disease, an increase in stroke, an increase in breast cancer, bone loss. So to prevent all that, it's so important to go back and look at what was the cause of the problem. And that's really one of the things I'd like people to really look at when it comes to my book, Max Your Immunity. And that is, it's a precision medicine approach. One size does not fix all or fit all. We can do many things to help people. It really is a customized approach to healthcare. Wow, that's a great story. It's a very encouraging story. And it kind of illustrates everything we've been talking about, that if you don't take care of your health, one thing, you know, she had one autoimmune disorder, which led to another, which led to another, which led to a 100-pound weight gain, all these terrible things. And then you start reversing it and things get better and better. So it's all about the actions you take and you through your work, are empowering us to take the right actions. So it's incredibly optimistic and encouraging, which is what we all need right now. We all need some encouragement and some optimism. So Dr. Smith, thank you. It's always, I learned so much from you and I enjoy it so much. And uh, where can people find you? Well, Peggy, thank you so much. And thank you for helping you get the word out. Uh, you can certainly reach me at the email faafm63 at yahoo.com, or you can reach me at drsmith.com. And your book, Max Your Immunity, you can get online, you can get in bookstores, right? It's everywhere. Absolutely. It's a New York Times bestseller in, in the health category, as it should be. So right? So it's easy to find. It is easy to find. Well, okay. I think I, I could talk to you all day, but we don't have that time. So I'm going to thank you. Look forward to our, our next chat. And uh, I hope everybody out there max your brain by maxing your immunity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter, Brain Health Breakthroughs, just click on the links in the description below. You're listening to Brain Health Breakthroughs, where we help you get smarter, think faster, remember more.